Hello and welcome back to Unleash Your Peace. My name is Ali Shoja. I am your host. I'm a positive mindset coach, a personal transformation expert, a deliberate creator, and your peace trainer. And Unleash Your Peace, this podcast over here, is your peace training. It's where we dive into different aspects about the internal world every single week. Because that's exactly where your joy resides, your peace, your creativity, everything that you love about life is within you. And we want to unlock that. We want to unleash it because when you live from this place of joy and peace and connectedness to that infinite beingness of you, that non-physical potential of you, you don't just incrementally improve the quality of your life, you actually exponentially innovate every aspect of your experiences on this physical plane you become whole you become the powerful creator you have come here to be and you become an uplifter in your family in your community and that trickles out into the world at large this is our wish for you this is our wish for everyone on this planet because that's essentially how we level up as a human race we enter the next stage of our evolution when we live in this way so this week we have a very special episode for you once again and before we dive in next to me i have your co-host niluna Derry. good afternoon <laughs> hello hello <laughs> and with us we have a very very special guest we have a gentleman who has done it all Stephen Powers, he runs, if you're in LA, you've been to Wisdom and we'll talk about Wisdom. Uh, he's one of the people behind it. If you are in LA and you know about Agape, he's one of the people behind it. He has done so much incredible stuff. You were, he was the CEO of Bodhi Tree, which was one of my favorite spiritual spots and stores in Los Angeles before it closed down. And uh, we just can't wait to dive into everything you do, Stephen. But before we do, can you just give us a little bit of sense of who you are and what you do and what is active in your life right now? Sure. Thank you. Uh, and well, and thank you for having me on Unleash the Peace. Uh, Ellie and Nilu, a really pleasure to be here. Uh, it's always a joy for me to talk about the work that I do because I'm very passionate about it. And it gives me great joy to be of service in the way that I am able to uh, to deliver my gifts and talents in media and entertainment. So that's really kind of the central theme behind much of what I've done is how do we use arts and entertainment to uplift the human spirit? Mm -hmm. So, you know, right now, uh, maybe the first answer to that is I'm a family man. So I'm, I'm in the thick of that, you know, with my wife who you've met and uh, we She's have three wonderful. children. Uh, ages 10 and 13 and 15. And I think like many parents, Ooh, <laughs> yeah, like many parents were experiencing them as, uh, as great teachers, uh, really sort of opening up those, those places that maybe are not completely resolved or healed right. or understood, you know, in our own, uh, upbringing and kind of showing us uh, the way and certainly keeps me very young to do that. And then I'm at, you know, I, I have the, the, the pleasure of being involved with many different organizations and consulting with, with other artists, creators, entrepreneurs, and I try to have them be relevant to social responsibility, to social progress, to spirituality, and uh, things that bring joy to people. Stephen, like, how did you even, you know, go down this path? Well, that's a, it's a long story. It goes way back. I 
went to college to study molecular biology at MIT because I was of that, you know, tribe that was, uh, you know, at the top of my class and, you know, kind of got channeled into, into that. And I thought I would be a scientist and, and, and particularly was interested in oceanography. Uh, but when I was just 18, a uh, freshman in, in college, my younger sister, who was 15 at the time, was killed by a drunk driver. So I could have been uh, joined mad, you know, at that time. My mother certainly should have. Uh, She was uh, starring in the school play on the night of her passing. She and my brother, who was just 16, were were actually driving into to appear at the play. And this guy going over 100 miles an hour hit them head on. And, you know, she was gone in in a second. And it created for me a tremendous awareness that uh, life, you do not know how long you have. Life can be short. Mm. And so you First off, it, it really gave me a sense of immediacy. Not that I didn't have that already, uh, because I was always kind of a, one of those AAA personalities who was go, go, go. But this gave me even more of a sense that that I got to get going and I got to get going now, because who knows how long we have. It also shifted uh, my perspective where science and math and the things that I was studying at MIT now felt very cold and very distant. And there was a part of me deep inside, which was an artist, which was a creative. I loved music. I played music, you know, I'd done all these other kinds of things. a lot of award-winning music. Yeah, over over the years, so I became a record producer. So that that moment just really shifted me 180 degrees to what do I really want to do in my life, and let me begin doing it now. So even though I continued at MIT for a few more years, I had the opportunity a couple years later to open a performing arts center in my hometown, which is Rockford, Illinois, and I named it after my sister. Her name was Charlotte, and we called it Charlotte's Web. And uh, it was a community of creative people, much like Wisdom is. Yeah. is. We're inviting the creative community to come and co-create with us at Wisdom. And that's what I did at Charlotte's Web. Only it was the musical community. And upstairs we had a, uh, we had a theater, the New American Theater. So even then, when I was 20 years of age at the time, I realized how much I wanted to use music and the arts to, to impact how people felt about themselves and the world and each other. Mm-hmm. That was a, quite a, a major shift for me. And then 10 years later, my older sister died in a small plane crash. Uh, So with her husband uh, uh, celebrating her birthday, they lived in Aspen and they crashed on Aspen Mountain. And and that, again, I I thought that I had managed my feelings about my younger sister, Charlotte. But now having it happen again made me... Literally, you may have heard this expression, mad at God. Sort of like, why me? You know, that's not fair. Okay, you know, I dealt with this and now I have to deal with it again and it's just too much and I can't handle it. And I really became very estranged from all of my, the, the wisdom tradition. I was raised as a Catholic uh, and in any kind of spirituality, I was just like, no, there's something really wrong with all of this, right? And I, and I started kind of going down a road of bitterness. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, agape and it was really agape and Michael Beckwith, a friend of mine said to me, I'd been living in LA. I moved out here in 1984 to be the director of entertainment at the Olympics, the 1984 Olympics. Wow. <laughs> and a friend of mine said, you might enjoy this place, Agape. This is in the very early days. In particular, they knew my love of music as a record producer, and they said the music is great, but the message is also very great. But you'll probably just start with with liking the music. And so 
I forget exactly when, but a long time ago, I, I first went and heard Michael Beckwith uh, speak and heard Ricky Myers Beckwith sing. And it did. It just absolutely began to open me up again to God is not the problem. In fact, it's probably going to be, you know, source and energy and light is probably going to be the healing right. force that will help me to, again, deal with how I feel about this and really sort of rediscover my joy. I, I'd always been an optimist. I am still an optimist. But you go through some dark periods in your life where yeah. you begin to feel like really you know this? yeah yeah and so so that's how i got here those, interestingly <laughs> was it was with a left turn that i you know you've heard this expression or maybe some of the listeners have not sometimes you are pushed by pain but what you want to do is to shift that to where you're pulled by vision mm -hmm. so uh you know very often people are pushed into change right. by pain they realize, oh, I've been diagnosed with cancer. I better change my diet. I better change my lifestyle. I better do something different or whatever it is that's really going wrong or differently. I won't be pejorative about whether it's good or bad because sometimes these things that are seem very bad yeah. turn out to be a great gift right. if you can use them to fuel your your passion. Yeah, we often talk about how all of these, this contrast, right? We don't call them really tragedies or uh, terrible things that are happening to you. It's contrast. It's creating a lot of contrast in your life. But all contrast, no matter how horrible it feels in that moment, it provides that opportunity for expansion because it forces us to dig our roots deeper mm -hmm. into yes. ourselves. And the deeper your roots go, the bigger your tree can grow ultimately. Yes, well said. And, but I really, I really love this pushed by pain, pulled by vision. You know, that moment of decision of, you know, my back's against the wall. I'm being pushed into this, you know, into this place where there's nowhere else to go. But turning around and seeing that there is no wall, there's a cliff and you have an opportunity to jump and discover your wings, essentially. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Right. There's another uh, bit of, uh, uh, it's, a, it's an old saying and a bit of tr traditional wisdom, conventional wisdom, that, that says we teach best what we need to know most. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. you discover that in a lot of people, and that's certainly what I was doing. So as I went out to try to talk about or present or produce art that uplifted other people, it would, of course, uplift me, right? So that's really, I was healing myself yeah, by possible. giving that gift to other people. When you start to go to agape, because agape means un unconditional, unconditional love. love. Yes, God's it's, it's love, a, a Greek right? word, right? Yeah. So you have agape, which is unconditional love. You have eros, which is romantic or sexual love. And you have philos, which is brotherly love. So, you know, when you're at a point where you're angry at God, and then you're going to a space where, you know, they're celebrating unconditional love, God's love, like, what was that transition like for you? Well, at Did first I, I sat on my hands with kind of my face contorted into a <laughs> sense of like, you know, and I resisted it, right? Yeah. So there was definitely this sense of like, you know, okay, okay, but but you don't know my story. You know, my life was a lot worse than you can imagine, right? You find out that's not true. You yeah. find out that most people have gone through a lot of very difficult experiences of one shape or another, and to hold on to something as being particularly negative for you is, uh, is uh, really a, a kind of a folly. The longer you live, the more you experience that. 
So I, I was resistant, very much resistant. But I was, I was literally taken by the music. I got to really give Ricky, by respect, with the uh, the credit because her music is very healing and very deep and very touching. And and really, I was like, well, I really enjoy this. I, I enjoyed the atmosphere of the people that I was around, the community yeah. really that was at Agape. Like immediately, I felt. Oh, this community feels good. So even though the message where, which one of the key aspects of the message is you're totally responsible for everything that's happened in your yeah, life, right? right? That's, well, that's very hard to take <laughs> when, yeah, when, when you're, in, when you're experiencing something that you think you have nothing, yeah, what did I do control. to cause this, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is the, is the answer. In fact, I've got a, I've got notes on a book I may write someday uh, called It's Not My Fault. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in, in that, this, the core subject is sort of this idea of, well, it really, don't use the word fault because that's pejorative, but, but it is definitely your responsibility. And you may have either invited it or it may even be a sacred contract through multiple mm-hmm. lifetimes or there's lots of ways that this could be the journey that you need to be on, as difficult as it may be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know in, in a previous podcast, we talked about the power of humor to be able to connect. But can you talk a little bit about like, the power of music and the arts? And yeah. And let me also say, by the way, that, that, that the power of humor, of course, you know, laughter is the best medicine is the old saw. And it's so true. Yeah. And a good friend of mine, comedian uh, uh, Craig Shoemaker, has a, has a foundation called Laughter Heals. And of course, mm-hmm. Patch Adams. And there's a lot of yeah. work done in that field. It's a very powerful medium. Music has been that uh, force that artistic expression, that human expression, for thousands and thousands of years. Ever since man uh, really started to come together in tribes and and recognize each other and you know bang on tree trunks or whatever they did back right and dance and so forth. So. For me personally, it was very clear that that was even before these things started happening, right? When I was a teenager, uh, that was where my solace was. That was where my joy was. That was where my inspiration was. And it's, of course, stretches across all cultures, across all languages. You know, we've seen this time and again, and everybody has a favorite song that evokes a wonderful moment for them. They might have their wedding song. They might have their something which is, oh, that was the best summer of my life. And this is the the soundtrack of it, right? right? So we all relate to music in that way. And I think that there's a lot of scientific studies, and this is not something I can really speak to with a great deal of expertise, but science has shown that, that music actually creates causes uh, biochemical responses mm-hmm. pheromones and other things in your body that make you feel elated and yeah. joyful and loving and connected mm-hmm. you know that's the wonderful thing about music and then the lyrics of course can speak to that directly or indirectly but just that the music itself yeah. uh, the mm-hmm. rhythms and the and the melodies have a, a magical alchemical way of of uh, touching us I want to segue use that music to kind of segue into wisdom a little bit Mm -hmm. wisdom the first time we we attended one of your events and that was before we knew you personally (laughs) you actually spoke at that event it was uh, for a friend of ours uh, Murray Hidari and he does these silent concerts where you have headphones and you're enjoying this uh, piano concert and that event was so magical because the the wisdom uh, first of all for those of you who haven't experienced this it's a virtual reality experience that everybody shares at the same time so the entire space is shaped like a dome the entire dome is a projection screen and for murray's concert the projection on 
the dome, which basically covers the entire roof and all the walls, <laughs> was images of galaxies, of star systems, of the Earth from outer space. It was just this really beautiful and fantastical experience. And then to, to be at a classical piano concert and experience that was really incredible. But what I would love for you to talk about is that inspiration that came to, to creating this space. It is such a magical space. And every time we walk into it, I'm always taken by uh, the entire experience, the experientiality of it, mm -hmm. you know, and the music definitely feeds into that, the sound, the images. How did that even come about? I'll speak to that, but let me also speak to what you're just saying, which is experiential entertainment or, or right. an, an experience, or we also call it immersive, right? Yeah. So the way that we take in information is auditory, mm -hmm. tactile, right? With touch, visually, of course, right? And then there is that energetic mm -hmm. that connects us when we're in a social environment and somebody next to us is having a good time, yeah, maybe right. a beloved, right? And and that also creates a way that we're responding. So really the waves of, of energy that are in a room. So a dome actually combines. So you have music, you have that strong auditory experience. Now you're putting with that a very powerful visual experience. And the difference between that visual experience and one you may have seen before if you went to a concert or you went to a movie is that you're immersed in it so right. the brain cannot actually tell the difference science studies have shown this between looking at this dome which creates infinite space and makes you feel for example like you were in outer space when you're talking exactly. about the things yeah. or like you're like you're floating above this incredible amazon rainforest mm -hmm. right if you're talking about that you're there and there's nothing that tells you that i'm sitting here and i'm looking at this big television screen over there instead i am there uh, and that yeah the illusion becomes complete because you have the auditory senses all around you in surround sound you have the visual all around you uh, so you're using all of your senses and that's what makes it even more powerful than any of them individually and the sound is quite good in that space yeah and that's been one of the things that i've tried to bring to the as a as a record producer as an audio guy for many years that was part of what i wanted to say let's make this also Excellent. The company uh, that, that created Wisdom is called Full Dome Pro. And if you're interested in geodesic domes, the website is fulldome.pro. You can, you can go check it out and see. We did the dome at Coachella and we've been do doing installations you know, all around the world for a long time. But they were more, the, the founders of the company were more focused on the visual aspect of it. Uh, but George Lucas famously said, sound is 50% of the mu movie going experience. And yeah, if, you've ever, if you've ever seen a movie without Foley or without oh, a soundtrack, yes. it's nowhere near as evocative or as effective as, as it is once you put in that audio piece. So yes, we focused on, on really creating great visuals you know, there. So you, you asked a question about the inspiration, yes, though, to, yes. to do it. So yeah. the inspiration, again, I'm only a part of this. So this is a team, right? And I'm, I'm one of the team members. And the, the gentleman who began this work about a decade ago, his name Georgie Eistoff, he began with art galleries and with vegan restaurants, of all things, in Russia, believe oh, it or not. that's why you serve vegan food there. Yes, yes. <laughs> so we're a vegan venue as well, right? Yes. Uh, which, which goes to the broader 
social responsibility right. in terms of climate change, of, of eating meat, but also to cruelty and other ways of just health, you know, consciousness. So it was really Georgie Eistoff who began building domes and then started producing content for domes. And he just recruited me because I had this background in media and entertainment and music and film and, and all of these things. And we met through the Bodhi tree, actually, he, he came when I was at the head of the Bodhi tree and he was proposing to me that the Bodhi tree have a dome. And, and then the, another one of his partners who I have known for more than a decade, Sean Ahern is another one of the principals at Wisdom. Sean was the producer of Harmony Festival in Northern California, which is one of the defining festivals for conscious living for 30 years, 35,000 people up in Marin County and an amazing festival of music and art and, and entertainment. And so Sean brought that consciousness. Georgie brought that consciousness from all the way from Russia. Um, I joined, so I'm by no means an originator of it, but we were doing dome installations for corporate clients. And we were also creating content, dome content. So some of what you were seeing, we produced. So we're a studio and a film production, uh, immersive film production studio as well. And it just kind of made sense to all of us that we should take this and, and put down roots to use your term about yeah. it right and open a Here's theme a park, park yeah. basically a virtual reality theme park uh, Disneyland for augmented reality and immersive entertainment and rather than going and setting up a dome for you know other Facebook companies. or yeah. other companies and it's a VIP experience that's great and it's wow and whiz bang but does it serve that greater purpose of how can we touch people's hearts and really you know mm -hmm. teach them something so that was the inspiration was just like, let's, let's do this yeah. ourselves. Uh, let's take control of this. And we also felt that it made good business sense yeah. uh, to do that rather than, you know, in and out. In your experience working with artists and uh, spiritual people, how do you facilitate keeping the ego out of the work? That's a good question. And it depends, of course, on the... Uh, the person you're working with, right? So artists and spiritual teachers do have some things in common. They're really all artists, right? Someone like Michael Bernard Beckwith is is an artist in his own right with words and with ideas and with, with inspiration, right? And somebody who's going to stand up on a stage in front of thousands of people is going to need a certain amount of ego right. to feel comfortable there, to understand that I belong here and I have something to give and something to share. So yeah. that can come from a place of ego. So now you're looking to try to balance that ego. So what is my role in helping to keep that in or out? I want a little bit of it because I want them to feel confident and sure. And, you know, I'm a world beater. I'm going to go out there and really make something exciting happen. Uh, and so that's, that drives them. That's where that drive comes from. But then if you can share to them a different purpose other than just the accolades or the money that you're going to get, and I think that's what I typically brought to my productions was was kind of holding space in the way that I do for there being a larger purpose. Mm -hmm. And I think that the people that I worked with, the artists that I worked with generally, perhaps were attracted to working with me and resonated with me in a way that they wanted to work with me because they also felt that. So it isn't like I'm converting them into doing something of this. I think many artists do what they do. Yeah, I think they do what they do because they also want to give. They also want to inspire. Art has always been about inspiration. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not that far to do it. But but there is a I think just a little bit of a shift is, is it's not just about making money, right? It, yeah. And it's it's also good and and this is a problem in the spiritual community, or at least it's a, a challenge in the spiritual community. And I did this myself as a child of the 60s. I used to say, I'm not in it for the money. 
and yeah. you're telling the universe, okay, don't give me any right. money. Correct. Well, money yeah. is a very powerful tool, and it's a great energy that we all need in order yeah. to move through the world. And the more of that energy you have, the more impact you can make, especially Absolutely. in the media and entertainment world. Totally. So eventually I had to learn, I better... I need to shift that mm -hmm. and understand that I am welcoming and inviting the flow so that I can keep it in flow and I can give it back. Mm -hmm. To your question, how do you keep it in check? I'm not really sure other than I think I just tried to bring my own natural personality and sense of values. And then the gift that I was given was perception of something mm -hmm. that is exciting or unique or good and a, an ability to recognize that in the moment. And that's uh, the way that I uh, worked as a producer. So there are, there are different kinds of producers. Some are very technical. Uh, some are very song-oriented. They might be a great musician or an arranger. And then kind of the old-fashioned producer is somebody who holds space to allow the artist to fully express what they want to do and to help them to, to ask the kind of questions almost like a personal development coach would. Mm -hmm. What do you want to achieve with this album? What do you want to achieve with this song? What's the purpose of it? Where, is it? where are you going with it? And then they look inward a little bit, get more connected with what it is that they're trying to express, and therefore the expression turns so out like more facilitating that internal yeah. discovery yes yes exactly Stephen, one of the conversations we had in the past was about this power of mentorship mentoring and also having mentors and you were mentioning that you still to this day after everything you have accomplished and done you still have mentors and and i would love to kind of touch base on that because I, I recently picked up a mentee and I've had mentors throughout my life. And there's this thing that happens where when you are on a path where you are in front of people and speaking and doing big things and incredible things and starting theme parks in L.A. and things like that. Sometimes people feel like, well, now I, I'm supposed to know everything. It, you know, your cup starts filling up. And one of the things that I just absolutely admire about you is that I constantly feel like your cup is never full. You know, it's never too full to put more into it, which is such an incredible characteristic to have, especially in these leadership roles that you hold. And could you just speak to that a little bit? My mother was a lifelong educator, moving from a teacher through the, the dean of a college in her career, and uh, superintendent of schools. And she taught me early on that there is no stupid question. The only thing that's stupid is to not ask the question, to sit there and pretend like you know the answer, mm -hmm. right? Because then you're not going to learn. Right. But no matter, you know, that if, if you don't know, and I do this in conversations all the time, somebody uses a word or an expression or talks about something and I say, I don't know what that is. And many people are afraid to, to speak up and say, I don't know what it is. So if you, if you move through life as a learner, as a lifelong learner, and that's an expression that is used in educational circles, um, then things will come to you, right? You'll be shown knowledge or people who could teach you things. And of course, I think, appreciation works in that as well. So if, if somebody shows up as a mentor to you and you're so grateful to them and you so appreciate what they're doing and you verbalize that and you show that in, in the way that you interact with them, yeah. they're going to feel that, you know, I'm being rewarded for mentoring this guy because he appreciates it, yeah. right? I, all I can say is yes, they have come to me, but it's also a matter of recognition, right? So you really got to keep your antenna up for a lot of stuff going on out there. And what is the most important stuff? What is the, the stuff that is key to your path or to, to your progress? And, and where can I 
you know, respond to somebody that, that is going to be that way for me and then follow through. You know, there's the old expression about 1% inspiration, 99% perspiration. And I have found that to be true in my life that, that if we just generate a lot of ideas, but don't act on any of them, uh, then, you know, you're just going to vibrate and not really, not really move forward. So forward momentum has a lot to do with deciding what you're going to do and then, and then really putting in the work. You've had a pretty unconventional career, I would say. And if someone, you know, there's a college student who hits a point of aha, like you did early in life, like, what advice do you have if they want, if, you know, if they want to make a difference, they want to contribute to the world, to the well-being of the world? Like, how do they get started? Volunteer. Give. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you can't get hired to do it, find a place where you can give your gifts as a volunteer. And then often organizations will look to their volunteers because they've seen what skills you have and who you are and get to know you and say, now we have a position open. Let's hire you. Right. And so I think that's one thing to always do. I think just to to be in motion, doing what you want to do, is going to create an energetic field, and this is very woo-woo, but it will create an energetic field that will attract more of what you want. So act in the way that you want to be doing and being and who you want to be, and and those energies and those opportunities will be will begin to show up in your life. Mm-hmm. And again, that sounds very woo-woo. So let's bring that down to more of a practical level, right? Yeah. If, if, if you have a, first off, sit down with yourself and ask yourself, what do I really want to do? Why do I want to do it? Look at your underlying motivation. Mm-hmm. When I was A&R director at Capitol Records, there would be people who would come into my office and they're pitching here, I'm a songwriter, I'm a musician, I this and that, and I want to be a star. And I, uh, I also uh, figure if it doesn't happen for me in a year or two, then I'm going to go be a dentist, right? And, <laughs> and, and I would say, you know, maybe you just want to go be a dentist right now because having a career as a musician is a very difficult path. And, and uh, if you're not so committed to it that you wake up every morning knowing that this is who you are and this is all you can do, you're yeah. going to run into barriers and challenges and you're going to be discouraged to the point where you're going to step out. Yeah. That kind of knowledge about this is who I am and this is what I'm going to do. There's also an expression which I learned from Michael Beckwith and Agape, it's already done, right? And, and to, to understand and move from the place of everything that you're dreaming and imagining is energetically been put in motion. And in fact, somewhere out there in the, in the universe, it's done, right? Yeah. You've, you've put it in motion. And now you, the pieces may yet have to come in, but just begin from the place of, of completion, if that makes any sense, right? I'm already there. So for example, I'm a record producer. I produced hundreds of albums in my, in my career. The first album that I produced, I was 21 years of age, didn't have any money to produce a record, but I said, I'm going to produce a record. And I said, I am a record producer. Mm-hmm. That, that affirmation, I just, I am the record. And the people, who's, who's making this record? I am, I'm the record producer. Did I know anything about record production? Not much. You know, I listened to a lot of albums. I I knew something about music. I knew something about music technology and recording techniques. But was I a record producer? Yes, because I said I was, right? And, uh, and, And so I produced that first album, and everybody took me as the record producer, 
because that's how I presented myself rather than, well, I'm trying to be a record producer. Right. I am a record producer and, and this is what I do. And we did the same thing at Wisdom. We just willed it into existence. It was like we just launched, right? It's like we just are going it. to open the park. There are barriers. We don't know what all the answers are, uh, but we know that we're going to do it. Yeah, and, and I remember the first time I heard about Wisdom. I'm like, what is this thing? And I went and it was a fully... A grown thing yeah. already in existence. I'm like, where did this even come from? In the <laughs> middle of downtown LA, I had what? <laughs> yeah. So I again, there's I, you know used the word alchemy earlier. I, I think there is a certain alchemy to life. There's certain things you can't fully understand, uh, but you can just you know set your sights and your intentions, especially set your intentions. When you say you know I'm a record producer, I. I'm going to produce this record. Uh, what tips do you have when like the internal dialogue comes for like imposter syndrome or, you know, who are you to do this or who you, do you, did you ever have to deal with any of that? And if so, how do you, what tips do you have? So that goes right to the core of personal development where we all have an inner critic. And do we allow that voice to be louder than my own belief in myself or other people's belief in me or forget the belief, my larger purpose, mm -hmm. even if I don't know how to do it but I know that it's what I'm trying to do is related to this larger purpose and it's it's something I can contribute then I'm going to strive to do it and I will do my best and if I if I do okay great and if I don't do okay I will learn from whatever that barriers or challenges that I faced along the way we learn from from our mistakes that's another very common expression but it's one to really understand they're not mistakes that's the wrong part about that expression yeah. we learn from our experiences And right. to judge them as good or bad, we talked about this right at the beginning, and this is a Buddhist teaching, yeah. nothing is either good or bad, it just is. Yeah. And we can then take it for what it's worth. To answer that question, first of all, I want to give a lot of credit to my parents, you know, my mother and my father, and probably all my ancestors who believed in themselves and believed in me. And I know many people don't have that. They're, they don't have a family that says, you're great, you can do it, you can do anything you want. You know, those kind of expressions, follow your dreams and so forth. Mm. Many people in their own family, the people they care about the most are saying, you're never going to be able to do that. You know, they're very negative about it. So it's very important to try to tune those out and to recognize your value and, and stay on purpose and on mission and on belief in mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. How do you achieve that? I would say it's about personal growth. Really, it's about trying to understand that. And again, we were just talking about accepting a compliment. There are times out there when people are going to give you good feedback and give you good uh, compliments and energy and say, I love what you're doing. Really take those moments mm -hmm. in and build on those. Can you tell us a little bit about this project that you have right now called She of God? Yes, I it's, love it's that a name. For yeah, so, so of course, it's the feminine aspect of divinity, right? The divine feminine is the She of God. Uh, we've for decades, uh, millennia, there's been He, God, as He, you know, as a male figure, which is all an aspect of, of cultures. Male dominance was shifted whatever many thousands of years ago. Women have been, for me, a tremendous inspiration, a tremendous support. And I mentioned my mother, but there are many others. Uh, and, you know, so I personally feel a lot of feminine energy. I believe that the compromise, the understanding, the compassion, the connection, the empathy that women embody are qualities that 
are the, the qualities of the new millennia, right? That's what we all need. This, this old-fashioned, you know, uh, warring of, uh, and butting heads and the way that men relate to each other, you know, I'm stronger than you are, you know, uh, <laughs> is it, it's just worn out. We can't have it anymore. We have to cooperate and we have to collaborate and we have to coexist. And so it's, it seems clear to me that that doesn't, that's not important. The project itself is a book and an art deck. So it's it's uh, 66 uh, cards. Uh, the artist's name is Layla Love. She's a renowned photographer based in New York. She's been compared with Andy Warhol and others. She's kind of a realist photographer. But she's been interested in uh, the feminist movement for a very long time. She's friends with Gloria Steinem, who, who writes a foreword for the book, and uh, or an afterword, I forget, but it writes something in the book. And she's been a very active in recognizing and supporting the strength of women, the value of women, and the qualities that women have that are so important. So the She of God is about those qualities, and it is actually a manual and a process for um, recognizing, for women in particular, but also for men, because we want to bring out our feminine qualities and and have more of that energy in ourselves. The book itself, The She of God, was written by a a young African-American woman named Emily Ann Gendron. Emily went to Yale or Princeton, I forget, I forget which, very smart, terrific writer. This is her first book. And she's the one, she does, she's a coach. And she actually is offering a She of God class and, and coaching for, for women and for others to try to say, what are these qualities and how do you, through exercises, recognize them and develop them? Mm-hmm. And the card deck, like many Oracle uh, decks and, and books, like you guys are making, is a starting point. So you can pull a card or you can deal out a card and on it, is a quote from wonderful women, Maya Angelou and on and on and Oprah Winfrey and so forth, powerful women who have had great wisdom to share over the years and an image by Layla, actually two images, one image that doesn't have a, on one side of the deck that doesn't have a quote and then the other one that does. And they're in different themes. There's eight different themes where they're kind of related. So the project is a book and an art deck set. It was published by my publishing company called Powers Omnimedia. You can go get it on Amazon. You can get it in some bookstores. And uh, and it's She of God. It's about the divine feminine. Is Emily uh, doing this work mostly with one-on-one or does she actually go into... She's mostly been a coach, a one-on-one coach, yeah. but she actually created a course. And if you go to sheofgod.com, you'll see her course is offered there. That is a group class for uh, for women to, because there's power in, in our collective understanding. Yeah. The reason I ask is I think that narrative is missing in the corporate world a lot, uh, where I was at a women's empowerment event a couple weeks ago, and I was really surprised because the language that they were using that you know, the more masculine characteristics were professional and kind of numbing out those feminine, more intuitive, more compassionate uh, characteristics were like, well, you don't want to be unprofessional. And it hit me like a brick wall because I was surprised at a woman's empowerment event that this was the conversation. So I think some a book like Emily's or a course like Emily's would be vital to you know get into corporate settings where you know women might feel like if they express what's naturally their talents that they can contribute 
is not seen as professional. Right. So there's two underlying theses in what I just heard that have been there for a long time. Yes. And uh, and I think that women's empowerment is being taught on many different levels right now. Right. There is an element of it where you're in a corporate, we'll call it, environment, a male-dominated environment, and that's kind of what the culture is. So how do you change a culture? If you come in and you are so different than it right away that you cannot be accepted and you can't be heard, you probably won't be effective. So you might want to make incremental change in mm-hmm. that environment. So what might be being taught in that situation is um, the two things that I heard. Women are emotional, They're, which is a great thing. They're in touch with their emotions. What do we mean by they are emotional? Mm -hmm. Typically, it can be a criticism that, you know, I said something to you that was hurtful and you cried rather than you just stood there tough and like, well, I'm Mm -hmm. thick skinned. And so what you just said to me doesn't affect me. Well, it does. And it's not inappropriate. And why can't I respond the way that I really feel to you? Well, in a corporate environment, maybe that's not the most productive thing right at the moment. I think that's what they're trying to say to you. But to I think that emotional ability to be in touch with your emotions and really understand them is a very powerful tool. So it can also be used very effectively for you, right? right? But that's a judgment that you don't want to be emotional. That's the first thing, right, uh, about it. And you mentioned intuition, right? So the old business paradigm is that we need to be able to track in a logical and linear manner how you got to this conclusion. Mm -hmm. And men are good at that kind of linear thinking. Women are actually incredibly brilliant in the way that Michelangelo was, where he just leapt to the idea of a helicopter or a submarine, and he didn't have the science to back it up. He just knew it. He just pulled it out of the ethers, right? And women do that brilliantly, much better than men. I've been trying to develop my intuitive skills more uh, because I think that that's a, such a great quality. It doesn't mean that that's not valid. In fact, those great leaps are really what move us forward for the most part, right? Did Einstein have all the answers to equals MC squared? He didn't. He just, he's like, okay, you guys go prove it, but I know it. Right. right? And, and that's, so that, again, that's a judgment that maybe that's not an appropriate way to be. I think we'll see that shifting. And Malcolm Gladwell's book, Blink, have you read that book? I bought it and I haven't read it. It's an incredible <laughs> I, book. I, I heard I should read it and I didn't get to it. And I've, I'm going to butcher it because I read it like 15 years ago. But in that book, he talks about this thing that usually that first intuitive decision that we make about something, about a problem, about a question is the accurate one and uh, people doubt it because it's the first thing that comes to their to their mind in response to what you were saying i think both men and women have that ability but women trust it more because maybe biologically socially we have to trust it more because the things that women deal with like your child if your child is in danger, you have to immediately jump into action. You know, like if you hear something in the middle of the night, uh, you have to jump into action. There's a, there's a safety that's at risk that is not at risk when you're making a decision about what to sell at what price point, you know, to your clients. Yes, right. I understand. You're doing almost kind of a linear, logical explanation of why <laughs> is uh, intuition, you know, why do women have more intuition? Maybe they just do. 
Uh, but, I but mean, I men think... and women are really different in, in, in very substantial ways. Yeah. And so it could just be a gift and a quality that women have that didn't come like you're kind of suggesting through evolution where they needed to know this or wanted to know this or trusted it. I think you're right, by the way, that they trust it more. I think that it occurred that that kind of intuitive thought occurs to men, but they don't, but they don't act trust on it, it. They and they don't it. trust it unless they right. can prove it. Yeah, exactly. So for, I think more often for men, it's like, well, that, that that can't be it. I need to like figure out how to get to that answer. Also, and we don't for value women, things that come easily. That's true. In our, in our society. I agree with that. That's, that's been one true. of my leading edges of growth is that, <laughs> is that, you know, things that started to come to me early on and very quickly, I was kind of like, oh, that's too easy. <laughs> Ask a couple of my friends. They'll, they'll tell you that, you know, I look for the challenge. How difficult can it be? Uh, and that's not necessarily a good quality. Which is ironic because when you live in a more awakened, quote unquote, awakened way and you live in the flow of the energy that flows through you, everything comes with incredible ease Ease and grace ease and grace right yes you can you can sit and you can write a piece of music Mm -hmm. in 10 minutes and it could be the best piece of music you've ever written but that's because you were in touch with that hundred percent agree there are many examples of that right of some of the greatest pieces of art that just literally flowed and you know and they wrote it down and boom that was it Mm -hmm. absolutely Um, but the irony of it is because we say uh, you know Money doesn't grow on trees. Um, you know, no, no pain, no easy gain. Easy come, easy go. There's yeah, those are all things we can unlearn. Right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but they're very much part of, I think, the American way of life. Well, there's a lot of wisdom traditions who have been teaching that for a long time, right? And I and now, as I see it, I think it's because they were ways of the elite holding down, right. you know, the masses. You know, right. don't think it could be that easy. You know, believe it's going to be very hard. These expressions, right, no pain, no gain, I think there's a lot of value in them. Sometimes people think of them as cliches, and they talk about them as cliches. But, but for me to, to, to look at some of them and to recognize how much truth and value there is, and as kind of a little trigger, you know, in, in, in athletics and in training, uh, there's this idea of a trigger, something that physically you can right. think about or do uh, that's going to bring you a little shot of energy, uh, and, you're, and it's actually what's happening. You're, you're triggering your neural system to... Mm-hmm boom, kick into action, right? And expressions can be that way as well in these cliches. So one of them relating to what you were saying, Mm -hmm. for years people have said, I need to see it to believe it. Right. Right? But you can just turn that on its head and say you need to believe it to see it. That's That's right. right. And that's where the law of attraction comes into into play, right? And manifestation, uh, powerful manifestation comes into play. Well, creation is a two-step process. And the first step is always in your head. The second step is the physical manifested created thing. Right, right. right? But the first draft is always you see it in your mind. You and create those, it in your mind. And then and then you only then can you create it in the real world. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're if you're a listener and you're not particularly religious or wisdom tradition oriented, look to athletics. And, right. and look to the great stars who talk about how they envisioned before right. the game what was going to happen in detail and really understood that. And then they'd already experienced it in their body. So when it was actually happening, they were so familiar with it that it just happened. Yeah, you're, you've already experienced it in your mind and it doesn't know the difference that if it's actually happened in the yeah. physical reality. And then the experience has to come. 
So. A lot of times I find that it's it's valuable for many people to take these out of the metaphysical realm because they have such a resistance and a doubt yes. about that yeah. already that, uh, that that if you put it in those terms, it's just too challenging for them at this point to accept. Until uh, they actually experience it. Yeah. Like when it's just theory, it's, you know, it's easy to resist and say, well, not for me. But once they have an experience of it, then, then it really sinks in. So this is where I go back to my roots as a molecular biologist at MIT. And, and you know, you'd think that might create in me a great skepticism, which to, to a certain extent it does. As scientists, there's even an organization called the Skeptic Society, you may know, which is people who, who feel they're, they're very discerning and they really want to know the facts and the truth and they're not willing to take these leaps of intuitive faith that, that, people, that people have. Let's think about energy. Right. Mm-hmm. So we all know, that, you know, does the human body, the energetic um, radiation on the body stop at the edge of the body? You know that it doesn't, because if you get close to somebody, you can feel their heat. Right. Well, you can't see that heat. So what makes you think that there aren't other energetic waves mm-hmm. that you may not be registering or or seeing or perceiving that go out beyond the body? We already have devices that can that can see the light emanating from mm-hmm. a from a body. Right. You know, we know that there are waveforms all along the spectrum. Tremendous waveforms, some of which we don't know yet, right? Many of which we probably don't know. So even the scientist in me says, there's a lot going on we don't know. And, and, it, and it relates to energy. And what a beautiful way to bring this conversation full circle from where we started. Stephen, such an incredible conversation with you. Nilo and I have been talking about how inspiring you are since we met you some months ago. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on this podcast and to share some of your wisdom, your experiences with our audience. How can people get in touch with you? And I do have a specific question about that. If somebody is out there and they want to be considered maybe for your publishing house, for a book or a deck or for their music, is it possible for them to get in touch with you for that? Are you looking for new artists? Right now, I'm I'm not as active because Wisdom is as a publisher or as a record label uh, Mm -hmm. because of Wisdom being such a big project and, and consuming a lot of my time. However, the answer is yes. Uh, there always are things that I'm interested in. I know that they will happen again my whole life. I've been creating and producing and releasing products. So I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. I don't have a website, which I should have, but it's always been about the other, you know, the other website. But I can be reached at my email address, which is stephen.powers at me at me.com. My name is spelled S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot P-O-W-E-R-S at me.com. That's probably a good way. Or I'm on LinkedIn. I can be messaged on LinkedIn and found uh, there. I'm on Facebook. And so, or you can reach out to, to Wisdom. Uh, it's my email address there is SP, Stephen Powers, SP at wisdom.la. So that's probably a good way to, to get in touch with me or contact you guys. If you've got an information, you know how to reach me. Definitely. Um, I, I'm not going to promise that I can get back to everybody who has an idea or wants to do something because my life is pretty full with the three children and wisdom and the other things that I do. But thank you for having me on. It's really always a joy for me to be involved in these conversations. And from the very first time that we met, when I was mm-hmm. speaking at the Digital Hollywood Conference, I, I really responded to your energy and your invitation to come over for these thoughts 
respectful events that you put on, yeah. both Nilu and you do. Uh, the idea of a meditation party, I just loved. <laughs> yeah. uh, we so, loved having you. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, great. Was My wife and I came, and we just had a great time. And so thank you for that. And, and thank you for the good work that you're doing with this. Thank you. And if you want to connect with us, we are at Peace Unleashed on Instagram. That's where we share love notes with you every single day. And I have lives where I answer your questions about the internal world. So connect with us through that. And if you want to work with us at any capacity, check out peaceunleashed.com. And until next time, when we come back and dive into another aspect of the internal world, we wish you a peace-filled day.